Let's go ahead and continue our study in the book of Philippians this morning. Very comforting book, and one I've always enjoyed and hope you have as well. I've entitled this message, Living as a Son of God. Paul continues to use the example of humility and obedience of Christ to encourage the Philippians to do likewise. Remember, we started chapter 2 looking at let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And he talks about the humility of Christ. He talks about the submission of Christ and the obedience. And that is a, an example for us to be reminded how you and I ought to live our daily lives. Now, growing up, sometimes my dad would say something along the lines of, son, a core doesn't do that. As I grew up and studied our family history, I found out there's actually not a whole lot of things cores wouldn't do. But uh, <laughs> I guess my dad was trying to change the name or something, I don't know. But, or something to remind you, your family, not to disgrace the family name. Yet, let me ask, the way in which I live, the way I present myself, the way I live in front of others, does it disgrace my Heavenly Father? Or does it bring honor to Him? The way I conduct myself with other Christians, the way I conduct myself in my business, the way I do things in daily life, is it bringing honor or disgrace to the family name? Hence the reason living as a son of God. Paul reminds us we are, those of us that are born again, are the sons of God. So there are certain ways in which we should act so as not to disgrace the Lord's name, right? So let's read verses 14 through 18 of chapter 2 of Philippians. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights, In the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. So I want us to examine this morning. First, we are to shine as lights. We are to shine as light. Secondly, we're to show forth the word of life. Show forth the word of life. And then lastly, we're to sacrifice our lives. Let's ask again the Lord his guidance. Father, I pray you bless now as we come to your word. Teach us, instruct us. May your Holy Spirit have free reign in our hearts, and we'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. Shine as lights. Now, if we're going to shine as light, then we can't focus on self. Verse 14 again, do all things without murmurings and disputings. But we live in a society that murmuring is a kind of the norm, right? You know, people complain that it's raining. People complain that it's windy. They complain that it's hot. They complain about everything. Murmur, 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 murmur. And when we read the Old Testament, we read the book of Exodus and the account of God delivering Israel out of Egypt, we often look and say, look at how many times God has worked in your life, and yet what do you do? You murmur about it. You murmur. 
Even the whole word itself just sounds like mur, mur, mur. You know, that's how people sound when they mur, 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 mur. And there, there's some who that's how they live. Even among Christians, people got to find something to gripe about, something to complain about, murmuring, nothing's ever right. We can all do this if we're not careful, can't we? You know, I even think in my relationship with my wife, I have a wonderful wife who does many things. But you know, sometimes I find myself getting selfish and she didn't do it exactly the way I wanted her to. Yeah, you're laughing because some other men in this room have done the same thing, right? And then you get stupid and let her know how wrong she did it instead of being thankful that she tempted to do it, right? And being kind about it. We murmur, we complain, we gripe about it. And you know, then sometimes she reminds me, you know, you could just do it yourself. You're right. I could. And I thank you for doing it. And I'm sorry, and I was wrong. Anybody else ever have to confess that? All right, don't, not confession time here. But grumbling and, and whispering and whining. But the murmurings arise from a selfishness. You know, they didn't do that the way I would have done it. Well, if you can do it so much better, do it. Right? Okay. It, it's interesting as... I was helping Ken put on the front porch. He kind of had the attitude of, if somebody doesn't like it when I'm done with it, then they, they're more than welcome to do better. I'm like, Ken, that's actually a very good attitude about it, right? And so if any of you don't like it, he'll invite you to come out and do it better. Now, he didn't mean that in a mean way. But the truth is, is human nature is to gripe about something. Oh, well, that's not how I would have done it. Well, I didn't see you here doing it, right? Okay. We tend to murmur and complain about things sometimes that really don't matter, right? In the scope of life, does it really matter if somebody cleaned the church exactly the same way you would? Or does it really matter if somebody, whatever the task may be, didn't do it the exact same way you would have done it? As long as it's done right, done to the best of their ability, done to the Lord. You know, I got a pastor friend who says this, he says, many times people volunteer for things and they maybe do 50% of the job or 60% of the job. He said, and I used to complain about why didn't they do it right? Why didn't they finish it? He says, I, God had to teach me. He says, that's 50%. I don't have to do it now. I only have to do half of the job now to fix it, not the whole thing. Well, that's a better attitude, I guess, right? But often we murmur because we think we deserve better. Again, go back to verses 3 through 6 and look at, Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a ser ser servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And it continues on talking about the humility of Christ. Again, Paul is building on that. Christian, why do we murmur? Why do we complain? Instead of looking at the example and having the heart of Christ. But it continues on. Do all things without murmurings and disputings or questionings. Now, there's a time and place for questions. We're going to have a question and answer night. We're not saying you can't ask any questions, okay? What we're talking more about is the ones that always have to question everything 
especially questioning authority. Now, I think there's times when authority needs to be questioned in an appropriate fashion, but, you know, talking more of the ones that questioning and finding fault all the time. You know what I'm talking about? Are we the ones that always find fault? So when you go to work, let me, let me tell you something. Nobody in this room has a perfect boss. So are you one that complains about the boss, always questions their authority, always putting them down, always finding fault with them? Because you can, if you look for it, and I'm going to let you in on another secret. There's not a perfect church in this world. There's not a perfect pastor in this world. If you want to find fault, you can find fault. But is that where our focus should be? Now, I'm not saying cover a glaring sin, okay? That's not what I'm talking about. And that, unfortunately, has happened in way too many churches. And we've had too many problems of a blatant sin happening, and everybody wants to cover it up. Look, that's not honoring God, and that's not what we're talking about. But we're talking about nitpicking and finding fault. You know, you can get 20 different pastors and get 40 different ways of doing something. Right? It just is that way. But we have to pick a way and go with it. And it may not be the way you would have chosen, but does it really matter? So if we're going to shine as a light, we can't focus on self. A light doesn't focus on itself being a light. It's giving out light. But then secondly, we see uh, as part of being shining as light, not to focus on self, but not to tarnish the light. Verse 15, that you may be blameless and harmless. Now, blameless doesn't mean that we are without sin. I've met some individuals who believe that you can reach sinless perfection in this life. I met a young lady once who believed that she had reached that point. Although she wouldn't say it, because she said, if I say that I've reached sinless perfection, that is pride. I said, no, if it's true, it's a statement of fact. And she goes, oh, no, that would be prideful. I said, it's only prideful if it's not true. I said, if it's true, it's statement of fact. And she's arguing with me and started getting mad at me. And when she started getting angry at me, I just smiled at her and said, I guess you haven't reached it. But blameless rather means without rebuke or no handle for reproach. It doesn't mean that accusations won't come. As a matter of fact, Paul is writing from prison. There's accusations against Paul, right? Has Paul done anything wrong? No. Okay. He's preaching the gospel. Kind of like, you know, the accusations they brought against Christ. I mean, they wanted to kill him for what? Going around doing good? I mean, think about it, really, right? So, it doesn't mean accusations won't come, but it means that they won't stick. There's not a handle which to grab onto. People make all kinds of accusations against others without fact. As a matter of fact, in our nation today, this has become all of the political realm, is everybody accusing everybody. Matter of fact, you know, okay, here we are in campaign season again. I hate political ads because nobody's telling me about them. Everybody's bashing everybody else. Well, we can all find dirt on somebody else. That's not what I want to know. I want to know what makes you better than them, right? Imagine if we actually had ads that said, hi, I'm so-and-so, and this is how I want to serve you. 
If you elect me, this is how I'll serve you. But we never hear that. All we hear is, he's horrible, she's bad. And then the word harmless means unmixed or pure. You see, Christian, we need to be careful not to mix the holy and the profane. We live in a society that doesn't even understand the difference between the holy and profane anymore. The things of God are holy, right? The Word of God is holy. There is nothing written by man that compares to the Word of God. The Word of God is God's revealed Word. It is the inspired, infallible Word of God. Nothing written by man comes to the level of the Word of God, right? Yet we live in a society that devalues the Word of God and tries to bring it down to the level of man's writings. Even among so-called Christianity. I was talking to somebody yesterday and they are saying about these different churches that whatever version you want to read is okay. They're all the Word of God. They're all the equally right. They're all blah, 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 blah. But yet the preacher has to stand up there and say, well, if you have a King James Version, it will say this. But if you have an NIV, it will say this. But if you have an NASV, it will say this. I mean, how do you ever get a message done when you've got to fix everything that, you know, ESV says this? And, you know, I mean, all these different initials and everything else, and then he has to explain them all away. Well, then there is a difference. I told you this before. I met a pastor once who had a T-shirt that had three frogs across it, and say, God's wiser. And I almost wanted to, first of all, I wanted to slap him, but that wouldn't have been a proper thing to do. So I didn't. And I wanted to pull him aside and say, how can you not understand that that's mixing the profane and the holy? But then I heard him talk, and I was like, it goes much deeper. Anyhow, I never did correct them on it because there was other issues. But anyhow, the idea being is don't mix the profane and the holy. I read an article this week that was saying about a lot of the euphemisms or the Christian cussing, I've always called it, that we use. Uh, the substitute words that everybody knows what word you really meant, but we put in a substitute word, are actually becoming less used in our society today. You know Why? Because vulgar language is more acceptable, so you just use the real word. And you know, I find that even among Christians, people saying, well, it doesn't matter. It's just a word. Is it a word that we really should be saying? Especially, especially, Christian, the ones that take God's name in vain, but we use a substitute word for God's name, but everybody knows you're using his name in vain. There's a direct command in Scripture against that, folks. So you can't convince me that it's right. But we mix the profane and the holy in so many areas. We want to do as the world does. You know, I'll give you several examples. So we talk about dressing modestly. Now, many times the emphasis always seems to be on the women, but it really applies to men too, okay? And dressing modestly in our body being the temple of the Holy Spirit and taking care of our bodies and whatnot. Yet I see Christians who want to do all these things to their face, whether it be puncturing it a thousand times or whether it be putting all kinds of paint on it or whether it be trying to stretch their skin out and get all these surgeries or whatever. And all these things because why? Well, I don't like the way I look. 
So is it really about the glory of God? Is it about the glory of self? Is it about exalting self? Is it about bringing, bringing attention to your body? Or is it about exalting God? I even know men who color their hair. This is my natural color right here. I know men who have hair like I do who will put a rug on it because they want to cover it up. The only reason I could see that is because, yes, you get sunburn. But other than that, really, it looks like a rug, especially when the wind blows. Then it's really funny. Or, and this is becoming more and more popular, Christians who want tattoos and Christians who mark their bodies. Now, and then they argue when you take them to Leviticus, well, that was Old Testament law. Well, if it wasn't okay for the Jew to mark his body, what makes you think you be in the temple of the Holy Spirit and God has designed you the way he designed you? If he wanted artwork all over you, he could have put it there. This is his body, not mine, to do with, but we treat it like it's mine to do what I want to do with it. Do you follow what I'm saying? If I am the temple of the Holy Spirit, then I don't belong to self, I belong to him. But I've seen Christians who will put verses on their, on their body and say, well, it's the Word of God. But is that a proper way to display the Word of God is my question. I don't believe it is. You see, a light is to dispel the darkness, but it's not as effective when it's tarnished. If you ever had an old kerosene lantern, when you turn the flame real down low, you can get you know, a little bit of light out of it. And then, but they're never enough. So you always want to turn the flame up. But then as the wick comes up, it starts to smoke more. And then you get all that black soot on the inside of it. And the more soot you get, the less light you get out of the thing. And it's kind of counterintuitive. And you wonder who's the dummy that ever made the thing, right? Because you can never get any light out of it. And when you try to, it tarnishes itself. And then you don't get any light out of it anyhow. Well, they made it because I guess it's the only thing they had back then. But the point being is, if your my light is tarnished with the world, then can we really shine as a light? So verse 16, let your light shine brightly. Holding forth, I'm sorry, verse 15 still rather. <clears throat> Without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Crooked, the Greek word is scoli, scolios. Does that sound like anything in English? scoliosis, which is a crooked back, right? And that's where the word comes from, but it's crooked. It's, it's not straight. I mean, obviously your back is supposed to have a curve, but it's an unnatural curve in it, okay? Perverse has the un idea of unscrupulous or cor corrupt. And nation would refer to generation. So let me say it this way then. In the midst of a crooked, corrupt generation, well, we live in a crooked, corrupt generation, don't we? Now, we look at the past and we say, well, our grandparents had it really good. You know what I find studying history? They had a crooked and perverse generation too. And so then we think, well, maybe their grandparents had it better. And that was a crooked and perverse generation too. And matter of fact, we can take it all the way back. I mean, did not in the second generation, Cain kill his brother Abel? That was a crooked and perverse generation, was it not? Okay, so to say that it was better back then than it is now is a false statement. Every generation has been a crooked and perverse generation.
But Christian, you and I have had the responsibility of every generation to reach our generation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have not put all my marks in this Bible from my last Bible, so let me see if I can find this quick. <clears throat> I told you I had to get a new Bible, and this week I finally got some new eyes, so I feel like I can actually see. Acts chapter 13 and verse 36. The Word of God says, For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid on his fathers and saw corruption. That's an interesting phrase. David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God. David was a man for his generation. And he served his generation. He didn't sit there and think, oh, I'm in the wrong time frame. You know, if I lived back in the horse and buggy day, it would be so much better than it would be today. Or if I lived in the future when we had computers do everything for us, it'd be so much better than living in today. And I hear this from people all the time. Oh, I wished I lived in this and that. Again, being murmuring, complaining, not satisfied with where you are. God has placed you in this generation for this time. God has equipped you for what he has for you to do. So therefore, this crooked and perverse generation in which we live needs to be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you and I, Christian, have the responsibility of getting that gospel to them. Now, I really appreciate Tim Stalkup and his family going to New York, because you know what? Many of those Muslim nations, we can't get into, can we? We can't sit there and say, fill out my visa. I want to go to such and such a country, to be a missionary, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. They would laugh at you and say, denied. Okay? And even if you tried to sneak in, which some have in like communist China and whatnot, there's a serious threat on their lives, is there not? But isn't it amazing? These countries are sending them to us. So why don't we reach them here? There's a novel concept. Because, you know, especially those going to universities and whatnot, guess what they're going to do? They're going to, some of them are going to go back to their country, right? Well, if we train them while they're here and they take the gospel back, it's a lot easier for them to reach their own because they understand the culture than it is for us to try to reach them because we're foreigners and they're already watching us, right? The point being, folks, is... Are we looking at opportunities and for opportunities to spread the gospel, or are we making excuses why we can't? But many have a problem even going to their own family and their own neighbors, let alone going and reaching the world. Light reveals the truth. As the sun gives light and dispels the darkness and reveals the truth. You know, okay, every guy, and I guess ladies do too, but probably has this problem. So I've never really seen a house where the bedrooms are well lit enough to be able to discern between the dark blue socks and the black socks in your sock drawer. Anybody else ever had that problem? No? Okay, well, I do. And there were times, I remember one time when I was in the Navy, I looked at my socks and one was blue and one was black and I had to make sure my, my socks did not show all day because especially that blue one, okay? The black one was fine, but that blue one, whoo! But if you take it 
and put it under a, a better light or get a flashlight, then you can see, right? Which ones are which? See, I like these color lights, this daylight, because it shows the real color, but you get that warm light and everything starts to blend together. And it's really terrible. Again, whoever invented that, I don't know why you would. But true light reveals the truth, does it not? Hence, Christian, you and I need to stop giving our opinion to everybody and give them the word of God. Because this is the truth. This is where the light comes from. But light also gives guidance. You know, we have seven lighthouses along the coast of North Carolina. The lighthouse isn't there to guide people to itself, right? Because if you were a sailor at sea and you saw the lighthouse and you set course for the lighthouse, you're going to run aground. Now, was that the lighthouse's fault? No. The lighthouse was there to direct you to the safe waters, not to itself. And so you and I, Christian, are not to direct people to ourself, but to the safe harbor, the safe waters, if you will, of Jesus Christ. Our lives then are not to be a light saying, look at me, but a light saying, go to him. Look at him. Reflecting him. Does that make sense? We're trying to prevent the perils and the vast ocean of sin in which man is drifting. We want to see them safely guided to the harbor of Jesus Christ. Light also gives life, which brings us to our second point, showing forth the word of God, the word of life. Verse 16. You see, the light that we show is not our own, but the reflected light of our Savior in whose image we desire to be changed. Holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. The Bible says of itself in Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is quick, means alive, and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. No other book can do that. It is the only place to find the words of life. So it says, holding forth the word of life. The idea there is to hold fast, to hold, it, uh, to hold toward, to offer. You see, Jesus gave you and I the words of life freely. We have the complete canon of Scripture. You and I are to offer it to others. Well, we're not supposed to talk about religion at work. Okay, well, tell them about the word of God, the living word of God. Tell them about your relationship with Jesus Christ. Avoid religion. That's a good thing anyhow. Because Christian, if you and I don't do it, who will? If you and I don't hold forth the word of life, who will? The church, and the church is not the building, it's the people in the church, the members of the church, are called to be the pillar and ground of the truth. You and I are to hold forth the word of God. That is in every aspect of life, whether it be at home, whether it be at work, whether it be in the community, whether it be wherever I am, I am to hold forth the Word of God. If we don't do it, who will? You know, back in the 60s, the church said, we're going to start Christian schools 
and we're going to pull all our children out of public school, and we're going to put them in a Christian school, and we're going to raise an army of Christians for the cause of Christ. Here we are, 2022. We're 60 years down the road from there. Have we raised an army of Christians for the cause of Christ using the tool of the Christian school? The answer, sadly, is no. But what we have done is remove the light from the public school system. And once the light was removed, what's going to fill the void? Darkness. We wonder why schools now are teaching kids that it's okay if you don't understand that you're really a boy. You might actually be a girl. And so we're going to help you figure this out. But don't tell mommy and daddy about it. We don't understand why it is in the public school system that we have girls getting pregnant and the school taking care of them and helping them get an abortion without mommy and daddy ever knowing about it. We don't understand why it is that the school, who had never had the responsibility of ever teaching sex education, is telling, teaching our children all kinds of wicked, vile things about something beautiful God created. We don't understand why all of a sudden we have a drag queen reading to our kids at the library. But let me tell you what it was, folks. It's because we said, we're going to take the light out of the public school and the darkness filled the void. Now, do I agree with the public school system? No. Do I think it's government's responsibility to train children? No. But as part of the system we have, and until we can fix it, we had the responsibility of having the light there, but we pulled the light out. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have started to protect our children. Maybe the Christian school movement was the right move, but we should have still been involved to try to get the thing fixed or shut down instead of pulling away from it. And so, Christian, I believe that part of the reason why our society is where it is is because... We weren't thinking what happens when we pull the light out. Because we thought, well, if we just let, we, we have this great army of Christians we're going to rear up in the Christian school, it's going to counteract the culture. But there's still millions of young people being trained and indoctrinated in that wicked system called the public school system. We are ambassadors with a message from heaven. 2 Corinthians 5.20 Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. And when we hold forth the word of life, it encourages others to do the same. Look again in verse 16. Holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. He's saying, you know, as you serve God and you hold forth the word of life, that's an encouragement to me. You living for God can be an encouragement to other believers. Have you ever stopped and thanked the one who led you to Christ for loving you enough to take the time to share the gospel with you? You know what encouragement that would be? If you've not done so, maybe you should... Pick up the phone today and call them and say, I just want to say thank you for loving me enough to take the time to share the gospel with me. Paul wanted to know that his labor was not in vain. You know, sometimes it can be discouraging when it seems no one is listening. Do we not read this in many of the Old Testament prophets? That they would get discouraged. Jeremiah 
got to a point where he says, that's it, I'm done. I'm not going to preach anymore. Nobody cares. Nobody listens. Why bother? Every time I try preaching, then my life gets worse. But he says God's word was in his bones as a fire. He could not stand to contain anymore. He had to say something. Which brings us to our last point, the sacrifice of our lives. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. You know, Paul didn't know what was going to happen during his arrest. He says, I offered, poured out. He was pouring out his life in the service of Christ. But we continue to serve not only for him, but also for the sake of other Christians. You see, when we serve, it brings joy. When we desire to be served, it brings discontentment, unhappiness, because people never do it exactly like we want it. We should be looking to pour out, if you will, instead of always take in. Looking at being a blessing to others instead of always looking to be blessed. But he says, if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. You know, Paul's saying here, that if, if it were his time to die, he's reminding these Philippians, you can still have joy. Now, would there be sorrow? Yes. But did he not tell the Thessalonians, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. But then explains to them about the rapture of the church. He says, we have hope, and that we are going to be raised again. And so, you know, it is interesting, doing a funeral for a believer versus doing a funeral for a non-believer Doing the funeral for a believer is much easier because you're able to share that hope with others saying, I can rest assured I will see this individual again. You know, the problem is, and I've done funerals for lost people, you can't give that hope. Now, I know preachers who, when they die, all of a sudden everybody became a saint. But that's lying to people. And some of the hardest funerals I've had to do are for lost people because, again, you can't give that hope that you're going to see this individual again. Because the truth is, now you don't say it this way in the middle of a funeral service, but the, the truth is, is that individual is now being tortured forever in, in the fires of hell. But the beauty of it is, the Word of God is still true and Jesus Christ still saves. So I'm able to tell the audience, that doesn't have to be your destiny, your eternity. Christian, you and I have a responsibility of sharing the words of life. Living as sons of God. Living a life that is pleasing to God. Different than the world. Stop looking at the world to bring you joy and happiness. It never will. Look to Christ and be fulfilled in Him. And give your life a living sacrifice. We are the sons of God. Let's not bring a reproach to the name of our Lord. Let's shine as lights, show forth the word of life, and sacrifice our lives for him.